You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Would you turn to Joshua chapter 14? 14 is where we are at this morning. God's Word, Joshua 14. I have two weeks of pictures to catch up from, so I took, I took Malachi's shots this time for these past two weeks. We were two weeks ago, uh, Joshua 13, we were looking at those two and a half, 2.5 tribes on the on the uh, eastern side, I always got to figure that out, eastern side of the Jordan River, Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, and now we're kind of getting into the western side. That was two weeks ago, and then the next one, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few, and we were looking at John. John was looking at John 10 last week, and appreciate his being with us and their sharing with us during that time. So we are in, hopefully you're with me in your copy of Scripture. If you don't have one, find one in front of, in one of the seats or grab one. Look on your neighbor if you need to. Uh, Joshua 14, 1 through 15. I'm going to read this entire chapter. And I want you to listen for a couple key words today. Listen to the, for the words holy, followed. Holy, not H, with a, but holy with a... W-H-O-L-L-Y, I believe I'm spelling that right, holy followed, and then also what was spoken, what was said. So you're going to be kind of sleuths for you that want to, if it helps you as we read through big chunks of Scripture, be on the lookout for those types of words as we go through here. Let's read and hear from God's Word then. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them, for the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenanzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. 
Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. At this point, I typically would pray for our message, and I'm going to have you participate today. I want you to take a minute. We've been worshiping, we've been singing, there's been noise, and, and we've been going, and I want you, I just want to ask you today to just quiet your own heart and pray on your own. Pray about this passage and what the Lord would have. Maybe you need to take a couple of those things from the week, and like I sometimes do, and I put them in imaginary buckets in my mind and say, I'm going to deal with that later, but I need to listen right now. So I'm going to put it in this bucket. Maybe you need to do that. Or maybe just say, Lord, this is on my mind. Lord, help me understand how does this fit and what we're going to hear. So I'm going to invite you to just pray silently where you're at, and then I'll close this in prayer and we'll begin. So, Father, guide our time. We pray again, your Holy Spirit, work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are going, I usually have an introduction to get us in. We are going right to the text. It's because, well, I don't have an introduction other than this. So I was going to say, well, because I don't. I don't. I have this. I have 1 through 5 in chapter 14 as an introduction Two, I think, sections beyond. So as we get right to our text, verses 1 through 5, they seem to be a sort of heading, a sort of title for all of what's going to come between now and I think chapter 21. It's this dividing of the land, the inheritance going on. And, and more specifically, now we're getting into those 9.5, those nine and one-half tribes that are inheriting the land west of the Jordan. Who's doing this? And that's what we're introduced to in verse 1. We've got uh, Joshua. He's going to be part of the division and allotment of the land. We're familiar with him, maybe less familiar with Eleazar, the priest. I think I saw somewhere this is the first time he's mentioned in the book, the son of Aaron, so with the priesthood. He's part of this dividing and allotting the land. And then you have these heads of the tribes of the fathers, uh, the people of Israel, the fathers' houses of Israel. And we're going to see Caleb as one of those coming later here as we read and as we get to, to uh, verse 6. How was the inheritance done, though? How did it take place? And that's what verse 2 answers. This inheritance was by lot. By meaning how? How did it occur? How did they? Did Joshua just arbitrarily say, you go there and this and that? Did he choose? It was by lot. We're not given the specifics. Well, how did all this take place? We're not given all the specifics of that. One place I read talked about having two jars. Uh, think of it sometimes how you pick a name out of a hat, you know, and you pick the certain name, that sort of thing. Imagine two hats or two jars, one jar with, with the names of the regions, the, 
the places where maybe they knew already they were going. So maybe the places, the boundaries were kind of in a general way set up. So you take out one of those places and then you go to the other jar and you take out one of the tribes and you put them together by the lot and here they go in together. I'm just, we're not sure, there's not less details. There are some details we're told about larger tribes should have a larger amount of land. So how they all divvied that out uh, is beyond me. But we're going to see as we go the names of all these places. We'll see that. But I think that gives us some picture of this lot. But again, was it just mere chance? This one out of here, well, this by chance and put them together. Was this kind of by chance? If you're familiar with the lot, you may be familiar with Proverbs 16.33 that says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot's cast in the lap, taken out of the jar, whatever, but its every decision is from the Lord. So what does that mean? God is in fact behind this inheritance. Each place, each selection. Think of the places we're at least familiar with. We may not be familiar with all these places. Maybe not Eshtaol or Zora or Asnoth, Tabor. That's some of the places that are listed in chapters beyond here in, in the next chapter. But what about Bethlehem? You ever heard of Bethlehem or Jerusalem or Nazareth? These places we're familiar We're familiar from the New Testament with these. And in large part, they owe their heritage to what was happening way back here in Joshua. Do you think God was orchestrating all of history, even these divisions and allotments, that someday David, or I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary would come to the city of David, to Bethlehem, and and Jesus would be raised in Nazareth, these places, Jerusalem, where it was, God is behind this. And so, yes, the land would be divided by lot, but also verse 2 says it was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. We see this. You are used to this by now, going through Joshua. They did just as Lord, just as Moses, as the Lord commanded. Numbers 26 records this command of the Lord to Moses to divide the land. And then Numbers 34 The command is passed on by Moses to the people. Here's what he says. You don't have to go there. Numbers uh, 34, it's in verse 13. Moses commanded the people of Israel saying this. This is the land that you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half tribe. For the tribe of the people of Reuben by fathers' houses and the tribe of the people of Gad by their fathers' houses have received their inheritance and also the half tribe of Manasseh. The two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, toward the sunrise. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance. See if this sounds like Joshua, where you're at. Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall take one chief from every tribe to divide the land for inheritance. These are the names of the men of the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Of the tribe of the people of Simeon, Shemuel, the son of uh, Aminahud, and so on. And it goes on from there. I won't read them all. As the Lord commands, so Moses commands, and so we find Israel and Joshua following through. In large part, Joshua was their leader, and as Joshua feared the Lord and walked in his ways, the people followed the words of the Lord as he commanded. 
Now, verse 3 tells us, again, we've covered ground about the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan and, and the Levites. Um, we looked at that last time. But then verse 4 says something interesting, just the first part of it. Kind of just, it feels like it's thrown in here. It says, for the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And if you're reading along and you're talking about the two and a half tribes and nine and a half, all of a sudden, for the people of Joseph were, were uh, two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Seems a bit out of place until we think through some of the, the, the math here and what the writer is helping us understand. Okay, so you've got nine and a half tribes west of the Jordan. You've got two and a half east of the Jordan. That equals 12. Are you with me on the math? Nine plus two is 11 plus a half and a half. Okay, all right, 12. But then there's 12 tribes inheriting the land. What about the Levites? who had no land inheritance. Now you've got 13, and you're going, how does 13? I thought we had 12 tribes. Where does the 13 come from? And I think that's what verse 4, the writer is trying. It seems out of place, but it's not. He's laying out the math. There's, there's historical accuracy to the Scriptures here. He's helping just understand, hey, yeah, there's Levi. They're not going to have an inheritance, but the two tribes of Joseph do. And if you add that up, there's 12 tribes who have a land inheritance. And then Levi, who had no inheritance of land. God was his inheritance, it said. So it, it's just a helpful clue, I think, for the reader as the writer here, possibly Joshua, is talking about the Levites in this section. And then verse 5 summarizes. It says, The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. All is well here. I mean, we're not in the book of Judges yet. All is well. Israel listens. They're careful to do according to all the law that Moses commanded. They're not turning. We saw in the first chapter of Joshua, they're not turning to the left or right. They're having good success where they go. They're following. They have a good leader in Joshua. That's the general scope then. This part, these verses, of the direction of the next few chapters, the allotment of the land. It's really God's land. And his boundaries, and though they're given by lot, they're completely under his sovereign control and will. The inheritance was being ordered by God. And now the story narrows, as we get into chapter 14, the story narrows towards that of Judah, the first tribe, the first allotment. That's where it really begins in chapter 15. But before 15, in this allotment to Judah, Caleb, the head of Judah, or the head of the tribes, comes and he reminds Joshua of something. And we get this little vignette, this little kind of look back in time and look forward to Caleb specifically and his allotment and what we have. So look at 14 and then um, look at verse uh, 7. We can start there. As Caleb comes to Joshua. And then verse 7 uh, through 9 here. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Something in Caleb's spy mission in the past was different than the rest of those who return. Most all of the spies, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, 
when Caleb was 40, some 45 years ago, most of the, all of them, verse 8 says, they made the heart of the people melt. Now, it's a familiar phrase in the book of Joshua because we're used to hearing about the enemy melting. Okay, that the melting hearts is usually their enemies. But in this case, the hearts that were melted were those of Israel. But Caleb's word, his spy report was different. His heart was different. And so, so what was different with it? And that's why I asked you, look at the repeated text in here. It was that he wholly followed the Lord. This phrase comes up twice here, verse 8, verse 9. We see it again in verse 14. It, it, I think it's, this is an ancient way of highlighting sections, okay? Repetition, and you saw it in there, the repetition. There's also the, the speaking in those words, but the repetition of he wholly followed. Why? Because he wholly followed. Why the land? Because he wholly followed the Lord. Something was different with Caleb. So it's worth our time to look back. Let's look, look back on this spy mission some 45 years ago before Israel ever entered the promised land. So I want you to go to Numbers 13. It's not too far back. Numbers chapter 13. We're going we're gonna to look at verse 30, but before we get there, so Numbers 13, 30, you can make your way back there. 13 and 14 of Numbers are recounting this spy mission from Kadesh Barnea into the promised land to check it out. And all the chiefs of the tribes are supposed to go. Caleb, talked about of Judah. Joshua, whose name is here, Hoshea, son of Nun. He's going in. He's the head of Ephraim. And then the other, the other would be 10. It was a 40-day spy mission. So 40 days go in. And they found, they found this place, both a land of great uh, produce. They talked about it flowing with milk and honey, but also a land of great people, great big people, great giants, the descendants of Anak. Uh, one uh, definition talking about Anak is people with large necks. So if that helps you remember, Anak is just a big-necked person. So uh, they were big, great giants. And the report is to the people, when these spies get back after 40 days, hey, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And there is fear in them from what they saw. Here's what Numbers 13.30s, because here Caleb now says something. So there's this report going on all the time. Yeah, it's great, milk and honey, but these people are big. We're fearful. Here's what Caleb says, Numbers 13.30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Caleb says, let's go. The people say, no, we're not able, they're stronger. Chapter 14 begins with them weeping, really weeping about the good old days. Oh, that we had not left Egypt. Why are we here? We should have just stayed. And then look again. These people, they're grumbling. Why did we come? Verse 5 then of chapter 14. 
And I'm just picking out sections to read here. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were among those who had spied out the land. They tore their clothes and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And what was the response? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Further, Moses then intercedes. God is angry. He intercedes on behalf of Israel as God wants to wipe them out. Wipe them out for their rebellion. They will not go. Their rebellion, not Caleb and Joshua, but they're rebellious. They don't want to go. And, and Moses asks the Lord to pardon the iniquity of the people. And then jump down to verse 20. So Moses is asking for this, this pardon. Look at 14.20. Kind of the last place, at least here maybe, that we... We, we look at Caleb here. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, Because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. There is the background to Caleb. Then approaching Joshua, or yeah, Joshua, to look at what God had promised him in the land. Promises spoken long ago. Look back then, head back to Joshua 14 and look at verse 10. That's in the past. He's reminding Joshua, here's what happened. Remember that? It was kind of a shortened form. Remember all that? Remember how God said, this is where you get to go. This is your promised place. Remember that? 45 years later, we transition to the present. And look at verses 10 through, 10 through 12 here. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb has waited 45 years to head back to this initial promised land that he was sure at the time they could conquer. And at age 85, he's saying, I'm just as strong now as I was when I was 40. So what gave Caleb this kind of 85-year-old strength? I think it had way more to do with Caleb's faith and spirit in the Lord than with his physical body. Here's what one commentary says of Caleb. They said at age 85, 
when he might have asked for a quiet place to spend his last days raising some vegetables or flowers, he instead requested that he be given the same section of land that had struck fear into the hearts of the ten spies. This was the inheritance he desired in fulfillment of God's earlier promise. Though most older people are more apt to talk about old conflicts than to take on new ones, Caleb was ready for one more good battle. He was eager to fight the Anakites at Hebron and take that city for his possession. Caleb chose a large and foreboding task. Not that he was filled with pride in his own ability. Rather, he believed God would be with him. Caleb had faith in the presence of God. For Caleb, if God said it, it was a promise and Caleb banked on it. The word spoken of the Lord was the word Caleb believed. If God said, go into that land, Caleb would go. The real problem in that original spy mission was one of unbelief. That's why God was angry. The people would not believe in him. But Caleb believed. Caleb's belief was behind his obedience. You might say, throughout all of Joshua, you might say Caleb trusted and obeyed. But what about verse 12? Just to look at that. Caleb says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. The word here can mean perhaps, or you might be, Bible say, in other words, if. So Caleb's saying, it may be that the Lord will give it to him. It sounds, is he doubting here? Is he kind of, I'm not sure about the Lord? Kind of hard to try to figure that out. Here's what one commentary says. It says the word perhaps, or we have the it may be in the ESV, but the word perhaps does not express a doubt, but a hope or desire. So perhaps it's not a doubt in Caleb's, it's just a hope or desire of what God would do. I think here Caleb both, both at the same time, he gave all authority to God. God, you do what you want to do. If you want to give me this land, it's yours to give. If you don't, that's fine. Take, give, take away. And yet he held on to trusting his Lord fully and he went forth in obedience no matter what. I think we see even more of that even back in the Numbers passage there. I think you see that played out. There's some ifs in there if the Lord will give, but there's, there's a certainty of Caleb in his God. What about Caleb's story? I don't, I don't think it needs to be unique to him. It's something every believer whose knowledge of God has deepened over the years can have. J.I. Packer writes a book called Knowing God. Maybe some of you have, have read it. I've read, I haven't read, I don't think the whole, I can claim the whole thing, but read parts. It speaks of those who know about God. There's two categories, those who know about God and then of those who know of God and have known God. And there's a difference. The one is simply head knowledge, knowing about God. The other is deep and personal and intimate. It's knowing of God. In that book, he points out Philippians, Paul's word in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Here's what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, everything. Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul, in a similar manner of Caleb, had his eyes fixed on God, on knowing God. There's an aging in Caleb of not just physical years, but an aging of faith in God's promises, trusting God in His Word, knowing God more fully in Christ. That an 85-year-old man would say, I'm as strong now as then. He's deepened in the Lord. Look then at verse 13 of Joshua. It kind of moves forward here. Verse 13. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Joshua both blesses, he gives the inheritance, and here we first hear that name of Hebron, at least in this section, given to Caleb. Then look at verse 14. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Here it is. Here's what helps when you see these words, because, what's going on? What's the purpose here? Why does he inherit the land? Because he wholly followed the Lord. The why. Hebron was given an inheritance because on account of Caleb, who wholly followed after the Lord, the God of Israel. I think, I believe here there is a parallel to our life as Christians. Certainly we give God all the praise and the glory for His gracious work of salvation in our lives, of what He does. But I want you to hear this as well. If all Christianity to you is just this, is just simply, just hear me in the right way, if it's just having accepted Jesus at a young age or just having asked Him into your heart, or it just simply means attending church events, and yet your life and your growth in the knowledge of God never matures, you need to examine your life in Christ. Some of you here, I don't know your hearts. We just read this week in our Bible reading, God looks on the outside, man, or we look on the outside, God looks on the heart, right? Get it right. Some of you here, I don't know your hearts, but some of you, you know about God, but you have not come to know God. And all of us, all of us, pastor included, must say, do we know God? Are we holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, are we holy following him following our Lord are we believing and that believing turning into obedience and turning into trust and walking with him to knowing God turning into knowing God having been saved by the grace of God I'm not talking we get to know him and that we've been saved by the grace of God we are new creations we're created in Christ Jesus to do good work some of what we read about already in Titus this morning Our good works flow out of our belief and who we are and we follow the Lord. 
We want to be those that know Christ, counting all else rubbish, seeking first His kingdom. And when we fail, as we often do, we have an advocate. First John tells us, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But we press on. We press on like Caleb to old age to know Christ more, not just know about Him, to wholly follow the Lord. Well, if there was a perhaps in Caleb's, as it maybe some of our says, or it may be, it seems like it's turned into a certainty as we look at verse 15. I'll read for 15 to us. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Formerly Kiriath Arba, name of the greatest Anakim, literally the city of Arba, this great one, formerly. Now it's called Hebron. And I think implied here, it was this, it's now this. I think implied, not sure, but implied victory for Caleb. I want to mention, lastly, just two things in the text that aren't so clear. Because they're there, and I figure, well, you're reading along, and so let's at least look at them. I don't have great answers, but there's some debate here on Hebron. What about Hebron? We've looked at, if, we, if you remember, we're looking through Joshua 10. Joshua already took Hebron. It was already destroyed. And now we're back, and it seems like Caleb's going to destroy Hebron again. How, how can this be? Was, did this happen at the same time? There's some debate. Was this, did the two happen at the same time? Perhaps. And they would use that phrase at the end, the land had rest from war. They would say, well, that, that means it's kind of similar timing. And we've got to remember with some of these, with ancient writing, there weren't so chronologically right down the letter like we would expect a biography or a, or a history book today. It was different. That may be. Um, I, I picture it as like a sandcastle you would, you would make on the edge of the seashore or the, the lake, whatever. You make that sandcastle, the waves are coming in. You make it so they take over Hebron. You make the sandcastle, right? And as the waves come in, Kids, you've seen this, the sandcastle eventually, you know, within five minutes, maybe shorter, the, the, the beach is back flat, unless you built it way up on the beach. I picture Hebron, for, for Joshua, they initially took it. They did destroy all there, uh, took this place, and as they went on their other conquests, not people didn't fill in everywhere right at that time, they go their places, others kind of fill back in, and Caleb's got to go back, conquer it again. That sort of idea. I think that could be, whatever the timing. Whatever it is, Caleb's faithful to the Lord. He's going to take this inheritance that God said he would give. Now, one other question here, this last phrase, the land had rest from war. Again, some are connecting this to the account in Joshua 10 with Hebron. It, I'm just going to admit it's not clear to me how this ends. We know it just simply says the land had rest from war. All we have to do is say, what does that mean? Well, it just means the land had rest from war. That's, that's what it has there. But whether it be the same timing or not, again, we can apply here. Caleb went to Hebron. He conquered his God-given inheritance. And there was peace. Peace in the land. And then next week, we're going to look, then we're going to lead on kind of from these, this conquest, and we're just kind of almost feel slowly transitioning into this allotment of the land, Judah to the sons of Joseph, and on down as we go. We're going to look at that. Uh, two concluding thoughts, two just applications stemming out of what we've looked at here today. 
One is this. To know God and to wholly follow God begins with hearing from God and His Word. We do need to know about God. I'm not saying throw that out, just feel God. We need to know about Him. And that knowing about Him should lead to knowing of Him and knowing of Him in our lives. But we need to know. We need to know God and His Word. What has He said? Caleb was banking what he would do in his life as an 85-year-old on what God had said. We have what God has said. Is your life banking on this and knowing this? Let me just put in a plug. Families, singles, church, one of our missions is to equip. How are you equipped in knowing God? We offer it here. The ladies are doing a study on whatever day that is, September 14th, I think it was, starting. It's an opportunity to get into some of the final books of the New Testament and to know God. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to come to Sunday school. I just want to invite all of you to come. If you've been putting it off, yeah, it's Sunday school. I want to encourage you. How are you growing in the Lord to know about Him? Coming to Sunday school does not mean just, yep, we'll take that check. I'm not, don't take it that way. Here in that, a desire that you would grow to know God. How do we know unless we study? Study on your own at home. But I want to encourage you as a church, take advantage of the equipping opportunities. Guys, we're still in the men's book. We're still in that book we gave out on Father's Day on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. and it's getting darker and it's getting colder. But come join us for that. I want to encourage you towards that. One practical way. Number two, just to encourage you in general to wholly follow the Lord. Be people who wholly follow the Lord. To know Him and that your belief in Him and in His words would cause you to obey Him and His words. Just this week, we've been reading through Romans. I don't know what it started with on Sunday. If By we've been reading through, I mean the Bible calendar. If you're following that, the two-year plan to read through the Bible, it's been in Romans is where we've been at. There's, there's commands in there to offer your body as a living sacrifice. It says that. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. It's to do. It's a word. We're to wholly follow that word. Or it says to love your enemies. Or it says other things, even just in Romans. That's just enough there to obey, to obey and follow what God has said. May we be those sorts of people. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I'm, I'm praying because I think we could come away from the message thinking about things we must do. Uh, there's some good things to do. Sunday school is good to do. Bible studies. Coming to church, good to do. Being with believers, uh, good to do. Time in our Word every morning, your Word, good to do. Uh, Father, help us, though, in the, in the doing to not check anything off, but to say, oh, Lord, I, don't, I hardly know you and I want to know you more. I know about you. I want to know of you. And I want to be the type of person that has known you and I've seen you and I've trusted you and I'm 85 and I've got strength because I'm trusting in your word and I'm going to follow you. Lord, we cannot do this alone. I recognize the song we're going to sing at the end, I will follow. If it's on our own, we are failing. Lord, Give us the strength, your sufficient power to follow you 
May your spirit direct our eyes and our hands and what we do with our feet and our mouths to follow you all the days of our life. We would pray, Lord, for your power to do this and to rest in the finished work of Christ, our advocate for when we fail. Pray this in your name. Amen.